Good morning. Well, it's my pleasure to uh, give to all of you today Pastor Alexei Strautsov and also Pastor Timothy Quill, who have joined us uh, from Fort Wayne. Well, Pastor Quill from Fort Wayne, Pastor Strautsov from Russia. So uh, he'll be our preacher today, as I mentioned the past couple weeks. And then I hope you can stay for our presentation downstairs, where uh, Pastor Strautsov and Pastor Quill will also be speaking about the Siberian Lutheran Mission Society. Uh, also joining us today is Pastor Quill's wife, Annette. And also Pastor Strautsov's wife, Elena, uh, also from Russia. And uh, they're just wonderful. They've been going around. They've been to California, Florida, Fort Wayne, and now here to Pittsburgh. So they literally, over the past two weeks, have been <clears throat> all over the country. I thought that with the travels they've been doing, I thought they've been in country for several months. But it hasn't been that long. So uh, it's quite a whirlwind. So it's a pleasure to have all of you here today. And also Elena and Annette will be joining us downstairs for the presentation and for the question period and also sharing a little bit about their perspectives on the Siberian Lutheran mission and everything that's uh, going on with their work in Russia. So I hope you can join us. A reading for the sixth Sunday after Easter from Acts chapter 16. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place to pray, a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was also a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul said, what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from the Revelation of St. John, chapter 21. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, and I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem. Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance was like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels. And on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the twelve names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the twelve gates were twelve pearls, 
each of the gates made of a single pearl, and the streets of the city were pure gold, transparent as glass. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city had no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of the Lord gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and the gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. And they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. This is the word of the Lord. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive, that your joy may be full. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Oh, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the Gospel of the Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. I could have begun my today's sermon with the words, In the name of Jesus. That would not make any practical difference. As we heard in today's gospel text, Jesus tells us plainly about the Father. That is, he spoke it to his disciples who faithfully transmitted his words to us in the Holy Scripture, so that these words may be integral part of our life. Jesus tells us plainly about the Father. 
This is how our new life with Christ begins when we are baptized. It matters. After all, our whole Christian life goes in the name of Jesus. It is baptism where we get to know the Father through his Son. It is confession of our sins and glorious absolution, where for the sake of bitter, innocent sufferings and death of Jesus Christ, we receive full forgiveness of all our sins, reinstating our baptismal integrity. It is the liturgy where we use the language of the Holy Trinity, the language of Christ, and the language of the Holy Spirit. These words that we hear and that we pronounce with our own mouth, they have direct relevance to our inner self. Christianity, in its essence, is not a philosophical doctrine or a way to uphold the good morals, although it contains guidelines for the good and moral life that benefit the society. Still, Christianity first and foremost is about relations, tangible relationships between Jesus and us, through which we become whole. Like that man, born blind, who was healed at the pool of Bethesda. Since we are born in sin, we are not whole, as we are according to our sinful nature. We as sinners, apart from Christ and his benefits, do not love God, and so we try to avoid his presence whenever possible. We invent other false gods and begin worshiping them with great zeal, wasting our time and energy on these false alternatives. When in such state, whatever we ask God or gods, we don't do it. In Jesus' name. Without proper question, without identified need, without proper repentance, there may not be an answer given that would satisfy our spiritual thirst. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? All our natural questions are the questions of the law. What do I have to do? It is not like that when asking in the name of Jesus. Ask and you will receive, that your joy may be full. Receiving implies relations. Relationships with Jesus and through him with the Holy Trinity. Our joy is full when we are born from above, when we receive life eternal in the waters of regeneration. And so we understand what a great gift we receive in that holy name which is above all names. In their constant meanderings and pursuits of other gods and the joys they promise but always fail to deliver, people bypass experience of that true spiritual joy, which cannot come other than through the proclamation of the gospel. To know Jesus is to know the Father. This is great consideration as we prepare for the Feast of Ascension, later this week, followed by the Feast of Pentecost, two weeks from now. This time is about Holy Spirit, 
but it is still about Jesus. Jesus is not just a way to God as though he were some kind of preliminary step, initial approximation of what God is really like. No, he is the way, the truth, and the life. The Father loves us because with every day on earth, we as believing Christians are ever more conformed into the image of his beloved Son. It is appropriate for God to grant life. Love of the Father grants us life. The Son grants life to us. Same with the Spirit, whom we confess in the Creed as the life giver. The Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. For us Lutherans, the language of love is sometimes confusing and suspicious. We prefer to speak in terms of faith, faith alone, salvation through faith. But there need not be any contradiction about that. Our faith is a childlike. Children love their parents precisely because they trust that they will get their basic needs fulfilled by the parents. In other words, that they will continue to go on living because of the parents. And children are not in the habit of rationalizing too much. There is not much intellectual effort involved here. Faith is sensation. It is like a matter of taste or sight. How can I unsee it? Say we sometimes in this day and age when we come across something unexpected or strange. But we say so precisely because we've seen something. We could not help but saw it. The same thing happens with us as believers. We believe in Jesus and love him because we were born above in the waters of our baptism. And in him we have come to the knowledge of the Father. We believe in Christ as he feeds our body and soul in this life through his heavenly gifts. Come and taste that the Lord is good. While we don't see God, Jesus, the Holy Trinity, with our physical eyes here on earth, we believe in Christ. And so we love God and hope to see him one day face to face. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. Christ descended from heaven, and now he is about to ascend into heaven. Strictly speaking, Jesus has never abandoned heaven. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Jesus promised to Nathaniel that he would see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. The Son of God has come into this world to dwell among us, to make his abode with us, to set a tabernacle, to present a new and final temple to us that he would raise in three days after its destruction. There is a marked difference, however, between how Jesus comes into the world and how he is leaving the world. The language here is 
identical, but the whole depth of meaning is hidden behind. Christ has come into the world as he is, alone. The Father has not become man. The Spirit has not become man. The Holy, the whole Trinity has not become man. Christ, the Son of God, second person of the Holy Trinity, has come into the world, was incarnate, and has become man. But when Christ is leaving the world, he is not leaving it alone. Rather, he is taking us with him. He has not just become one human individual, so that looking at this we could try to imitate his example of obedience. Rather, he has assumed the whole human nature, so that he would restore this nature in his own body. I said a little while ago that Christ has come alone. That needs some correction or additional explanation. Even when disciples scatter and leave him alone, he is not alone. Yet, I am not alone, for the Father is with me. The Father is with me. But this is precisely what applies to us also. We are not alone, for God is with us in Jesus. When we are baptized into Jesus, we likewise have the Holy Trinity abiding with us, not by nature, but by grace. But what matters here is that we are not alone. These are very important words, for they allow us to properly approach the most troublesome part of today's gospel text. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. We could have spent the whole time discussing just this part, as profound as it is. However, it makes sense to turn it over in view of what we heard before. Jesus gives us joy that the world cannot give. We receive what we ask for in Jesus' name. And so our joy is full. Tribulation in this world may temporarily throw us into a state of anxiety and perhaps cause some sleepless nights. But it cannot deprive us of profound spiritual joy because this joy is not dependent on the world and its ways. When the military conflict started in Ukraine three months ago, I as a Russian citizen who has relatives and colleagues both in Russia and in the Ukraine was emotionally and psychologically shaken. These events had direct implications for the life of my church and seminary and for my personal life. Some big things were happening in the world around me over which I had no control. However, I kept telling myself, Jesus has overcome the fallen world. Tribulations of this life may be of different nature, but we are talking here about what we experience as Christians, as new people born from the water and the spirit. Jesus has overcome the world which means that he has also overcome that part of us which resists the way of God, that old Adam who wills to pursue 
his own sinful pleasures and who needs to be daily drowned and eventually must die forever. Even after Christ has left this world to go to the Father, he continues to abide in the church to recreate, reconstitute our life in such a way so that we may enter heaven. Nothing defiled, impure, nothing dead or dying or decaying may enter the presence of the living God. So God will also have to kill us as sinners to restore us for eternity. We will physically have to die so that our body may be risen from the grave to live with God in eternity. This life has started in us even now, but we will have yet to see the consequences of the implications of this victory in the life to come. Remember Lazarus. Martha was concerned that there would be order, since he already had been in the tomb for days. When Lazarus came out of the grave, did the raping clothes still have an external order? Probably yes, but he was made alive by Jesus. We are like that. While Apostle says that we are the aroma of Christ to God, outside we still have our decaying, sinful flesh, with all its diseases and problems. However, Jesus had already given us life, his life, and so we have peace in him who has overcome the world, death, and the devil on our behalf and for our benefit. This victory is truly ours. Let us rejoice as we partake of the life-given body and blood of our Savior at his altar. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus.